Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate all the downloads. We appreciate you tuning in. Turkey season is firing up all over the nation. It's open in South Texas right now, and it's creeping its way up here. If you are in the market for a new turkey call, I highly, highly suggest that you go check the boys out at Pacific Calls. PacificCustomCalls.com. They've got a new turkey line out right now. They've got diaphragms. They've got pot calls. They've got everything, and they look and sound amazing. If you are needing anything, any kind of call, to call in any type of bird, I highly suggest that you check out the boys at PacificCustomCalls.com. They've got everything that you need. They're a one-stop shop. Turkeys, geese, ducks. They've even got the Sandhill Steakhouse call out there. So if you're chasing Sandhill cranes, they've got the call for you. And if you're going to be in Texas, April April 7th and 8th. Second weekend in April. Second weekend in April at Texas Motor Speedway. You can go by and check them out. They're going to be there. Boss is going to be there. I think Lucky Shane, Duck. Lucky Duck. Dirty, Dirty Duck. Shane Gear. Shin Gear. Shane Gear. Shin Gear. Uh, Gun Dog Outdoors is going to be there also. Jeez. The who's who. Also, if you are a turkey hunter, check out Boss Tom from Boss Shot Shells. It's all made in America. Copper plated bismuth. Wax them. Uh, you can get a little bit of revenge. It decleats the toms. It's a quick and effective kill. Boss Tom, it's all that I shoot. It's all that my clients shoot also. American-made products right there made in Michigan. Right in Michigan. Great guys over over there at uh, Boss Shot Shells. They've worked through the product shortage to deliver a high-quality, premium uh, product to you loyal hunters. So check them out. They're constantly uh, innovating, constantly making their product better so that uh, you don't have to think twice whenever you're pulling the trigger. All-American-made, too. Great people over there. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the way to start the day every single day. Shoot them in the face. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. That's right. Missouri Boat Ride Blend. That's how we start our day out here at the Big Honker Lodge. It's delicious. Go delicious by, and nutritious. Go by Texas Motor Speedway, see them, see Scotty Goggles, and tell them we sent you over there to see them. Uh, you can get all your coffee. You can get all your caffeine needs over there at uh, Dirty Duck Coffee. Cool hoodies and caps, too. Yeah. Got some cool stuff and some cool mugs. They got a great new uh, F. Joe Brandon. I saw that. I saw that you have it, and I don't, though. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Interesting the way it works. Interesting the way that this works out all of a yes, sudden. It does. You've got the new uh, F. F. Brandon. You've got it, and I don't. I know. Whatever. Yeah. That's fine. All right. Also, go check out the boys at Dive Bomb Industries. They are your one-stop shop for your decoy needs. They have got, the widgeons now. They got widgeon floaters out now. So um, they're slowly, slowly uh, adding species to their floater line. It's it's exciting to see. They've got the kickback chair. They've even introduced a uh, dog training line. So they've got a cool little dog launcher that uh, you can fling that bumper further than your arm will let it go that's crazy too that of all the years of training dogs i threw so many bumpers as a kid see there that someone would come up with something so simple just to flick that dummy yeah, right on out there and add 100 yards to your dog and i used to throw i've thrown a lot of bumpers when i was a kid growing up oh yeah i can remember Lots. ron you got to step out there and and throw the bumper that way the dog doesn't get used to breaking down at a certain distance they've just figured it out jeff that's a it's a great product Great guys. Cody's got it going on over there, him and Asher. So check them out. Constantly innovating. Dive Bomb Industries. Check them out on Instagram. They've got a great Instagram page. They're a lot of fun to be associated with. Uh, and don't forget about the silhouettes. It's the, it's, they're the best on the market. Pack up nice and neat. It's the off-season right now, so they've all, we've stored them all up, and they're beautiful. So check them out, Dive Bomb Industries, for whatever you're looking for. And uh, if you're laying out in the middle of the spread, the kickback chairs and the tall socks are the way to go. And the greatest, <coughs> the greatest waiter company ever. 
<coughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> another another new company that's come out that's just taken over that industry. Shingear, by far the best waiters. If I was going to be wearing waiters, that's what I'd be buying. I do wear waiters, and that's all I will ever get. Um, the boot fits like a dream. The material, the top material that they're made out of, it's it's durable, it's breathable. Uh, two things that you wouldn't figure would go together, but Jeff Jones over at Shin Gear has figured it out. They're the most comfortable. Like I, like I told Jeff when we had them on the podcast, there's, there's times, you know, I, I thought I could just hunt every day in these. They're that comfortable. And they've got a guarantee that they will stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. So if you do have a problem, you, you get a little rip, maybe the seam happens to, to break loose, send them to the people over at Shin Gear. They'll get them turned around and right back out to you. That's how a company should be, Jeff. Great customer service. Let's talk about them boys over at Lucky Duck. <clears throat> they got a big boy kennel out. Five-star crash test rated. Lou, weight fluctuates a little bit. 80 to 100 pounds. He's finally got a crate that fits him. That's durable. Now, as rumor is, it is there really a fan that goes in that? Absolutely. So he has yes, his own air conditioning yes. Listen, system. Listen, it gets hot. It gets hot in the summertime in Texas. This nice, big, beautiful dog crate that I've got from Lucky Duck. It's got a fan that attaches to the front of it. Keep your pet nice and cool during the summertime. It's also got a pad. So, you know, he doesn't have to worry about He's getting older now, Jeff. i got to worry about his elbows. He can lay comfortably in this uh, five-star crash test rated kennel, and I don't have to worry about him. He's cool. He's comfortable. Not going anywhere. It's a great product. Uh, they've also got the best spinners on the market, and they also have the best A-frame that's out there right now. So it is the Lucky Duck 2x4 blind, four grown men. It's sturdy. It's stout. And it's what we use almost every single day out here. And we are not easy on our equipment, and they handle the torture test. So if you hunt out of A-frames, if you hunt on edges, there's even guys that put A-frames in the middle. If you're a big boy and you want comfort and you're sick of trying to let, had a guy today book a hunt and said, hey, I'm a fat ass and I do not want to lay a layout blind. What do y'all do? I said 90% of our hunts are done from an A-frame. Of course, the time he's here, we'll probably have to be laying probably, on our back. Probably have But to. I told him 90% of the time, and the reason why, it's comfort. If your customers are comfort and you can shoot better when you're sitting down as on your back. Yep. Makes things a whole lot better, so check out Lucky Duck. They've got tops now, too, so if you're a crane hunter and you're hunting out of these uh, A-frames, you just throw the tops on, and all of a sudden you're invisible. So, luckyduck.com. Also, go check out uh, Gundog Outdoors. Uh, check out, you know, you got to take care of your four-legged hunting buddy. They've got bumpers out. They've got collars. <clears throat> they've also got the patented quick-release system. Latches into your dog's collar. That dog does not go anywhere until you say so. You pull a little, pull a little string, and... Away it goes. I hook it up to Lou every single day. No matter how highly qualified your dog is, how highly trained your dog is, the quick release system is something that you could use. So um, keep Fido in check always. That is at Gundog Outdoors, and they're going to be at Duck. So if you're there in April, go check them out. Looking Glass Duck Club, our boy Logan Pyatt, him and Rebel. They put on a hell of a show. They have a Patreon account, and you donate to it every month, and then you get unlimited access to all of their episodes and you can check out the debauchery that they've got going on we actually just had logan on here here recently and he's a great guy they put on a hell of a show they're funny they're witty some people even call them smart jeff but it's for adults it is for adults so if you uh if you ride around with your kids i would suggest you not listening uh maybe then but you know you get by yourself maybe with the misses and pick up a few little pointers few little pointers from logan and rep it's a it's a fun time and I, I really, really enjoy listening to them banter back and forth. So that is the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. 
We're also brought to you by uh, Alpha Outdoor Specialties. They came out with a stand-filled stool. Sturdy little piece of equipment that goes in the A-frames, and you can sit your fat ass down and not sink into the dirt. No more buckets digging into your ass. Hemorrhoids are terrible. No sore back. No, no more sore back. Uh, but they can they can manufacture anything that you've got at, over at Alpha Outdoors. Uh, if you'll just get a hold of them, you can check them out. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. Uh, they're on Instagram. Shoot them a message, and they can. Uh, Thing, build whatever you want. They're geniuses over there. Good people make good stuff. He told me to tell you too that he will have the uh, what was the name of it he used? It's gonna be the thing in the blind for you to put your shit on. Oh, the the blind caddy. The blind caddy. He said, "Tell Andy you're making a blind caddy." For making him. a blind caddy. We're excited about that. So they're gonna call it the asshole Andy Shaver. The asshole Andy Shaver's coffee holder. So uh, be looking for that. It'll be out before this uh, hunting season. We're also brought to you by Steak Plains Meats. Listen, the price of meat in the grocery stores is, is entirely too high. If you've got the freezer space, you need to buy in bulk. Get your neighborhoods. If you can't buy whole beef by yourself, get two or three of your neighbors. Go together and buy one. You're saving money. The quality of meat's better. You know what you're getting. And for what you're paying for a pound of hamburger meat, you can be eating ribeyes. That's exactly right. And you're prepared for whatever comes next. And who knows what the hell? Who knows what the hell that's going to be? You've got meat on hand. You're not relying on truckers and grocery stores and many, many variables. You got the meat on hand, and you're ready for whatever. So, if you can afford it, if you've got the freezer space, go in with some buddies, check them out. Steak Plains Meats, and you can get whole beef, half beef, whatever you want, and uh, they, they also, do a very good job. They also do wild game there too. So check them out. Yeah. If you need to get something so processed. If you, if you shoot a deer or anything. Well, you're not doing it right now. Your neighbor's cow, your neighbor's pig. <laughs> take anything to them. <laughs> Just take it to them. And then when you get done doing that, you need a whis- little shot of whiskey. You do. And, and what makes the best whiskey, Sire Andy? Bangtail whiskey. Uh, they have also fought the supply chain shortage and glass bottles. They've got glass bottles. They're bottling up whiskey, and they're shipping it out just as fast as they can bottle it. You need to check them out. Bangtail whiskey. Brandon's a great guy, and uh, he's held his nose to the grindstone. And he has weathered the the supply chain shortage. Who'd have thought glass? Never two get, years ago, couldn't get whiskey for your. That's crazy because we of glass. got we got all the whiskey in the world, but we can't get bottles. So it, it's a it's a fun time to be alive. But Brandon has uh, he's stuck with it well, and I suggest that you go check him out at Bangtail Whiskey. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Uh, do we have any dates at all? I we, know we dove have, season is pretty well gone. I've, I've got I've got can do some corporate dove hunts during the week. Tuesday through Thursday package. Check it out. Bring 20 guys up here. Cost you $10,000 for the weekend or for, for a three-day hunt, lodging meals, the whole thing. Where else can you take 20 clients out for ten grand and spend, and have a good time with them? Um, also, we have a new series going to be coming out on YouTube, but we have yet to name it. Anyways, be checking we'll out little feeders will be coming out, or little trailers will be coming out on it for the next two months, and it'll be coming out this summer. Anyways, that's stanfieldhunting.com, or you can call me at 940-658-3172. I do have dates left all three months, November, December, and January. I've got some pheasant dates left. I can do pig hunts in the spring. We can do turkey hunts next April. We're sold out for this April. And uh, basically, that's it. I appreciate y'all listening. Thank y'all for listening to the Big Conquer Podcast. Thank you for letting us be a part of your life. God bless you, and be safe. All right, our guest today is Mr. Jay Bruce. He is a former uh, Major League Baseball player. He is now retired. I guess he retired last year and uh, bought SureShot Game Calls, and he is completely rebranding it, uh, but also paying attention to the rich history that is uh, SureShot Game Calls. So 
Very, very fun podcast. Just bullshitting with him was uh, a ton of fun. So we hope that you enjoy it. Here he is, Jay Bruce, Sure Shot Game Calls. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast, brought to you by Gun Dog Outdoors. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world famous Andy Shaver. Almost forgot my protein shake in there, Jeff. It's bulking season. It's bulking season here at the Big Honker Podcast. What are you bulking for? It doesn't matter. I mean, you did almost throw a no hitter in kid pitch baseball <laughs> the other day, so I, I was pretty proud of you for that. And actually, everybody, I was making fun of Andy's baseball managing dis, uh, debut. And you went 1-0. and You've done pretty good. And yeah. you've done a good job of telling the kids where to throw the fucking ball to. Yeah. We can talk to this guy about it. Yeah, that's what we're fixing to. That's we why I started remember, off with your baseball. The manager is only as good as their players, so. <laughs> Listen, I, uh, you know, it's tough. I'm coaching 8U. It's coach sure. pitch. And uh, baseball is one of those things that you could do nothing but practice for like five years, and you would never teach the kids – every possible scenario that they might run into. Oh, absolutely. So I'm coaching my five-year-old right now at uh, Coach Fitch, and it's the first organized baseball he's ever played, which is, you know, kind of funny given my background. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, really generally has no idea what's going on out there. I mean, and most of them don't. You know, I was talking to my wife last night about it. I was like, you know, the, the difference between talent levels and a five-year-old they can seem so much better, but they're like everybody's really close to being equally like the same. It's not. It just if you can throw or or catch at five years old, like you are Mickey Mantle. You know, I told Andy first of all, our guest today is Jay Bruce, former Major League Baseball player, a first round draft pick in the Major League Baseball, a bonus baby. <laughs> You were. Now, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into that in a minute. But I told Andy, when I coached kids sports, my record was like 191 and 22 over the years of my three boys growing up. But I had a whole lot of talent and whole lo- very little bit of coaching experience. We just were better talented than everybody else. So, but when you're dealing with five and eight and 10, about 10 years old, you really can start telling the difference in a kid. But even eight and under, the kids are kids. They are. And honestly, the best asset you could have on your team is a team or a, a, a mom on the team that's a teacher. Like just it's, it's like a classroom atmosphere, you know, like it's like if you can get them just to listen to what you say. Like we played a girls team the other day and they kicked our ass. Dude. They beat the <laughs> shit because like, they listened and they like weren't crazy and they paid attention. And it was uh, it was impressive. You know, it's funny. You, you're a former Major League Baseball player, very successful. And there's that guy that's coaching across there, and he's like, yeah. who's that fucker think he is over there? Fucking, he's changing my son's <laughs> batting stance. How, yeah. how dare that son of a bitch? We worked all weekend on that. There was a game. Yeah, we had a game two days ago, and the kid comes up to the plate, and his dad is telling him to get both of his elbows up. So he's up there like, you know, <laughs> like this. Yeah. 
And so I walk up to him and I like, I like, I'm like, hey, dude, just relax this front elbow. Like, just, just relax up here, man. Like, we're all having fun. Like, you just relax. You can't do anything like this. Man. Like, can't. Yeah. And his dad was watching and I felt bad afterwards. I'm like, does his dad think, like, that I'm an asshole because I told him, like, basically told his dad to, you know, kiss my ass and this is how, not how you hit? Or, but I'm like, the kid was not having fun at all. And it was, um, <laughs> it was a, a situation that I probably could have avoided, but I'm like, no, I got to at least tell this kid, like, you're not going, I don't know if you're going to be any good at hitting, but you're definitely not going to be good at hitting like that. Right. The you other, know? my, the first game that we had, I had a kid go up there and he was, he was gripping the bat so hard. And from where I was standing, I could see his hands, the knuckles turn white and it's just, he's shaking. Yeah. And of course he's struck. And I'm telling him like, you got to relax, just relax, yeah, relax. Just relax. You do good in practice. Like, just relax. I don't know what's going on right now. And of course he struck out three, three in a row. Yeah. Gets back to the bench, starts crying, and you know, I'm like, dude, the the very best in this entire world are gonna hit one out of three. That's oh, the that's that's yeah. cream of the you're winning awards if you go one for three. Absolutely. That's what I tell I said I made a living off striking out. Right. Yeah. I struck out like fucking fifteen hundred times in my career. Yeah. Played fourteen years, made three all star teams. So like it's okay. And you, then then luckily next time he came up to bat the catcher on the other team, you know, it takes 10 minutes for the catcher to get dressed at this, at this age. So, um, he was standing in the batter's box. There was no catcher. We had a while and he's like, he's up like this and he's just shaking again. I said, put your bat down. I said, just relax. No, it's not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. I'm not throwing the ball. Catcher's not there. Like just relax a little bit. Yeah. And I went up to him I'm like, listen, you're a good hitter. I was like, you got a you got a, a, a nice natural swing. I was like, you just gotta relax a little bit up here. Have some fun. You're you're seven years old. Like, I don't yeah. know what preconceived notions is in your head. I told you something or other. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're fine. I think I want my kids to stick around and get a snow cone at this point. Honestly, like yeah. if you just don't cry before the snow cone, it's a win. I don't <laughs> care. I really don't. I I think kid I think youth sports is first of all, it's been monetized, which totally fucks it up. Yeah. Like hundred percent. Anything that starts to involve money, it's gone. Like when we play, I played baseball when I was younger. It was little league. You played a little fall ball and you know, I was just like, I was out at the ballpark as much as I can to steal foul balls and bring them home so I could hit with them. Like I wasn't playing 80, 90 games a year for select and paying hundred dollar a week on, you know, lessons that an eight-year-old can't even apply anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much bullshit that goes on in youth sports these days, and I want my kids to have fun and get a snow cone. Like, that shit's going to take care of itself. Yes. Down the line, you know? That's that's a good approach. You know, I think Roger Clemens got chunked out of a youth foot baseball game for doing something one time, If I, if I, if I, and I'm pretty sure that's pretty correct. Yeah. You, you know, the problem, or one of the problems is, is everyone thinks their kid's the next Mickey Mantle. You know, not about it, and that's and no that's then that's sad. And they spend all that money and stuff, and um, I know I have a guy that hunts with me. It's a professional little league coach. That's all he does. <laughs> lives in the Dallas. He lives in the Dallas area, and he coaches probably about six different little league teams, and he gives lessons all the time. And I think he makes seventy five dollars an hour, and he messes yeah. with your kid, and he stays busy, and he's making four, five, six hundred dollars a day teaching. Oh yeah, kids. man, that, it's a it's a racket, dude. It yeah. really is, and I, I mean. And, you know, I have parents come up to me all the time asking, hey, what my eight-year-old's doing this or doing that. And, you know, what should I have them, you know, taking lessons? I said, stop. Mm-hmm. Let them have fun. Make sure they don't hate it by the time they're 13. 
And at that point, the game's going to choose you, whether you're going to be good or you're not going to be good. Like you're going to know damn good and well whether or not you're going to be able to have a successful high school career or even a college career or heaven. I mean, almost no one plays, you know, in the major leagues or professional baseball. So it's like that stuff's going to take care of itself. Like make the game enjoyable for them because most people only play it for enjoyment and are you're growing lifelong fans like you know, 99.9% of the people that play youth sports end up being fans of the sports that they play, not playing it. So it's like, to hell with the people that are actually going to be playing it, that's going to take care of itself. Like, let's create people who enjoy the game. We had a kid out here. He was a left. He was a lefty. How hard did he throw? He threw in the 90s, and he could throw everything, every single Jump pitch. Jump ball, fastball, like he had everything. It was going to be a first-round draft pick. His dad, from the time he was eight years old, had him throwing 100 pitches a day. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine. And by the time he got to be 16 years old, junior in high school, he said, fuck this. I'm done. I I do not want to pick up a baseball again. And, like, you know, everybody's telling him, like, listen, you legitimately – you have a shot at being – because he went to a big school in Wichita Falls. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he wasn't at a a podunk school like here where we are. Like, he was at a big high school, and he was putting up numbers. And everybody was telling him, like, two more years, and you can – right off into the sunset he said i'm i'm fucking done well listen think about it this way so we start so major league baseball starts spring training in february right mid-february we play until october from october until mid-february you don't fucking play baseball like Mm -hmm. you you work out you get ready you rest that it's set up that way for a reason because too much of anything is is bad for you and I see it so much. I mean, you have seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds playing 70 to 100 games a year. And that's not because they want to. It's because they're told they should or have to. And that's bullshit, man. I I don't like it. I wish Little League was more prominent. I wish people came out and just played the season, played a little fall ball, and then played other sports. Like, did other shit that also helped you become more athletic and a better athlete. This this kid told me. He was 16, and he wanted to move in with us even. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know what? Knox City has never won a state baseball <laughs> championship, but we're fixing to if he moves in here. <laughs> but I told him, I said, you need to stay home with your parents. Then he got in some trouble and done some shit. But he won a regional 5A. At that time, 5A was the biggest division. As, yeah. a, as a 15-year-old freshman, won a game in the regional finals. to go. So, I mean, he was a very talented, very yeah. uber-talented kid. But he got sick of baseball. Now he tells me that he wished he would have stayed and played baseball. Well, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, hindsight's you're, all now you're working hard, and you didn't you get that big check. But I told him, I said, listen, if you'll bust your ass and do and just do what you're supposed to do until you're a senior, you're going to yeah. get a big, big check given to you when you're 18 years old. You know yeah. what? I said, go play for a year or two. If you don't want to play, quit at 20. You still got that money you put in the bank. You'll be taking care of the rest of your life. But you know, when you're 18, you're 16 years old. Uh, yeah, fifty-year-old 50 guy is not very smart. The foresight is not there. It, it, no, you know, you know it was too bad. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about other things now because we can talk kid baseball day. Yeah. First of all, Fergie Jenkins was in here when was was wow. was on with us the other day, and Fergie talked about. And you said your off season was uh, not doing much. He played for the Harlem Globetrotters. So <laughs> there you go. Teach your kid to play yeah. basketball. Teach your kid to play exactly. basketball. Seriously, and one of the greatest ever. Um. You said a minute ago, you said the problem with kid sports is people are monetizing it, making money. Now, we all three are in the hunting business, so that could also apply to the hunting business, couldn't it? Yeah, but we're also not fleecing parents <laughs> off, of, <laughs> off of emotional, uh, yeah. you know, getting – we're not selling false goods. 
and, and the other thing is you're not like I'm not there's no like hey you can become this professional hunter and make millions and millions of dollars like right. I feel like the hunting industry is trying to like forge relationships between you know different people and father and son and and buddies who are going out and spending time together and the conservation side of it and the just like the memories that it's creating it's not selling a it's selling a dream but in a different way you know it's like you know i get to hunt all the time now because i got to live my, my dream playing baseball but you know hunting is for everyone that, you know. yeah. That was a good answer because someone was going to say that. They were going to say, well, hell, they're making yeah, money but selling that's hunts. A, that's, an, that's an extreme scenario. Yeah. These coaches are getting up there like, okay, like if you just give me this amount of money you know, a month, like we can work on a little old Jimbo, and before you know <laughs> it, like we'll have scouts at the game at 14. And so, you know, yeah. it's, so how, it's a little different. How does Jay Bruce, the baseball player, mm -hmm. you were 18 years old when you got drafted. And you got a pretty good chick. I can Wikipedia. They got a lot of information about your financial <laughs> stuff right there. Yeah. So some of it's wrong, but I signed for $1.8 million out of high school. They got that uh, right. What yeah. is that like? My dad. So it was, it, it's fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> I bet. Um, my dad was a plumber. My mom was a teacher's aide. Like came, you know, lived paycheck to paycheck, you know, lived in a rent house until I was 13. You know, so I, I humble beginnings for sure. Um, you know, never went without though. My parents did an incredible job of at, at least hiding any, you know, financial situations or hard times that they went through. But obviously, we weren't, you know, um, you know, and we, we didn't have any stocks or anything like that. I can tell you that, you know. <laughs> but um, man, it was crazy. You know, I think that for me, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by people that that really had my best interest at heart. And a lot of people are not surrounded by people that way. And for me, the community that I grew up in was extremely um, supportive. You know, I used to go door to door and ra you know raise money to go play select ball when I turned 15 or 16 years old. And I mean, if it wasn't for those people, I could you know I wouldn't have been where ended up where I am now. You know, so um, that whole financial like windfall that I had at such a young age is was really incredible man i mean i i still at times don't like don't even wrap my head can't wrap my head around it like you know the numbers that i was introduced to at such a young age and still today are, are just like you know stuff that it's you try not to pay too much attention to it or else you can get too wrapped up in it and like like you know bad you know just start taking yourself too seriously or like just you know i just try and set i tried to settle into like a, a lifestyle that fit my you know what i wanted to do and Seems to be working out okay. What What's the first thing you bought? Did you buy your new car, new truck? So I paid my parents' house off. Good uh, kid. Bought them a new car. Bought my sister a house, and then I was it. I was playing, so I. I mean, I didn't even have a like. I didn't. I didn't have a car until I, I was um until I got home. So I didn't ever have a car growing up. I didn't get my license until I was eighteen. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I got home from instructional league and, and bought a vehicle. But um, yeah, I took care of them first, man, and um, you know made sure they were all good. And you know that's what I felt like I needed to do or wanted to do. And um, yeah, so got home and uh, bought a, a Yukon when I when I got home. So so let me ask you well, this: good character, man. You get a you get a million dollar. You get a million eight. That's almost two million. Yeah, call it whatever. 
By the time it's you not seven hundred thousand with taxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's what you hear. Everybody's like, man, if I get a million dollars, I'm gonna take care yeah. of these people and these people. You were eighteen years old, so like you also knew the odds were you were you were gonna keep playing. But for people yeah. that are getting like a one time million dollar check, mm-hmm. probably not the best financial no, move to take no. care of everybody in your circle. No. No, for sure. And, you know, there are there are ways to do it, too. You know, like you have some borrowing power at that point where um, if you're connected and, or not connected, but if you are surrounded by the right, you know, kind of uh, support group, whether financial advisor, agent, you know, there are ways to, to help without, you know, putting your leveraging yourself too much. And it's uh, something that a lot of people don't do. And, um, yeah, it's tough because you do feel like, you know, especially, you know, a lot of people don't come from a whole lot. So they feel like, you know, they got to put everybody on their back when they, when they make it. And you have to be careful of that because you can, you know, kind of burn, you know, the, the, the head start that you have potentially and, you know, kind of be back in the same position as you were when, before you started, before you know it, if you're not real careful with it. But, um, you know, fortunately for me, I never had to really worry about that. I, you know, got drafted at 18, called up at 21, never went back to the minor leagues and, you know, played forever and made a lot of money. So. And I want, I want to talk about that. I know that that's kind of a personal deal, but everything's, but it's not fair for an athlete that all, everything you make is on, is public record. Yeah. And I've never understood that. Yeah, it it is interesting. And I don't know why either. Um, I think there's a fanfare to it, though. You know, I think that there's a connection to like, hey, this person makes this much money. Oh, that's so crazy. Like now he he needs to perform at X, you know, Mm -hmm. level because he's getting paid this much money. And it it creates a buzz, I think, around, you know, around the teams. Um, you know, the, but, and then you have all the like net worth websites and stuff like that are, that are just complete bullshit, you know? Um, but yeah, the earnings and stuff, it's, it's spot on. And that, and that's, and that's crazy because like my banker, I don't know how much money she makes, right? Yeah, but, it, but you're not a publicly traded company. That's what surprised me. But my question was in 2010, you made $440,000 in 2011, yeah. you signed a six year, $51 million contract. Is that when you finally realized that you were taken care of for the rest of your life? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I felt like I put myself in a good position before that, um, to, you know, to at least like if, if I blew my knee out and could never play again, like I could go home, go back to school cause college was paid for when I got drafted. Um, I could go back to school and, or go to school and, and you know, have a, make a decent living and, and not be, you know, in a, in a bad spot. But yeah, that, that was a big reason that I signed that deal. It ended up being a seven year, $63 million deal because I, they picked up the option. Um, but you know, I was 23 years old and I was looking down the barrel of over half, you know, half a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was going to be a free agent at 30 years old. And at the time, 30 year olds were still getting six and seven year deals. So like the, the time that I was, the age at which I was become, going to become a free agent again was really, really important. I knew that whatever money, like dollar amount that I signed was going to take care of me forever. And I hoped that I was going to be leaving money on the table because I hoped that I was going to outperform my contract and sign another deal that was worth way more money. Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, it was a no brainer because I was, um, I was able to secure, you know, $63 million at 23 years old, which, obviously you know 
really doesn't happen for anybody. Um, right. You know, it's funny too is so I, I got to know Scott Boris uh, fairly well throughout throughout my career, and he was always in LA, and he'd see me, and every time he'd see me, he would tell me that I signed the worst extension in baseball history. Obviously, coming from Scott, like he wants you to get as every penny that you you can get, and you know when I signed my extension, that you know that like ten through sixteen, those years were like my best. You know, I hit thirty home runs every year. Two thousand fourteen and fifteen, I had some injuries, but you know, I hit thirty home runs. I was driving in ninety something runs. I finished second in the Gold Glove, All Star, Silver Slugger, stuff like that. And so, I mean, I understood where it was coming from, but also like. I was a kid from Beaumont, Texas with a plumber and a teacher's aide as a mom, you know, as yeah. parents. So it's like, you know, $63 million was going to be okay for me. Yeah. I don't think anybody should frown at that. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I asked Fergie about that. Uh, Cause if Fergie Jenkins was pitching right now today, he'd be making $40 million a year. Oh geez. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what he tell us he made, did he make a million a year ever? I think he got a three year, $9 million, $6 million deal uh, his last year. And he's crazy at his, yeah. At his time. And Jim Kern, another friend of mine, played in the majors forever. Jim was one of the best relief, middle relievers in baseball. He would have been making three, four, five, ten million a year also. And it's just crazy the amount of money. You know, you talked about the contracts. Uh, Bobby Witt, I've known Bobby forever, and his son is, is the new. Incredible. Be, yeah, going to be a hell of yeah. a player. But yeah. Bobby told me when he signed with Tampa, he was right when Tampa Bay and Arizona came into the league. And he was up here, and he told me, he said, I think I'm going to probably play a couple more years because he said, I'm not the best 60 starter in baseball, top 60 starter in baseball. But he said, we're going to add 10 more starters now. And he said, I'm definitely one of the top. Is there 30 teams in pro baseball? 30 teams, yeah. So there's 150 starters, he said. But I'm definitely 120 to 150 starter. So he said, if I sign a three, another two- or three-year contract, my grandkids should never have to work the rest of their life. And I think he got like a three-year, 12 or $15 million deal. And I don't yeah. blame him. No, I mean, for sure, man. And, you know, I, I got to where, you know, last year was my 14th season to play, and I was, like, trying trying to change positions. I, I had to sign a minor league contract and make the team out of spring training, and I did that. And I, You know, I wanted to give it a fair shot that last year, and I just – it wasn't feeling the way it was it used to for me. And, you know, I was already – you know, had my 10-year. I was fully vested for, as far as my um, pension goes you know, made more money than I could ever imagine. And I, I, I accomplished everything that I could have ever dreamed of. So it wasn't like I was leaving. I felt like I was like being, you know, something was taken from me or I, I didn't feel jaded towards the game at all. Like I was like, Hey man, I gave it hell. You know, I had a good career and my kids are starting school and you know, it was like, I'll just, it's time for me to go. Like, that's just, that's what it is. So yeah. I've got no, no regrets, man. The the Tom Brady thing, and I just looked up Fergie. It said if Fergie, if this is true, in 1982, he signed a one-year contract with the Cubs. Of course, that was towards the tail end of his career. Yeah. Uh, base pay agreement was 225 k And wow. he had 40 k in bonuses he could have made. So. And it's crazy. It really is. I mean, you know – the whole free agency deal and then just the business that baseball turned into is what has created all these salaries for everyone. You know, that was the interesting thing with the lockout and the, all that shit is like, it's almost like sometimes fans are pitted against the players yeah, making, you know, for this or that. And it's like, Hey, like the money's going somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Like money's either going to the owners or it's going to the players. And, 
most a lot of it is the money that you spend watching whether it's on tv or it's on an app or it's at the game like it's going somewhere so it's you know it's like workers versus owners and it really what side do you stand on and you know you're i, I don't know it, it's it's interesting how it was all kind of posed and like i obviously i think the owners should have the lion's share of the money because they're the owner of the team and that's how it works but um i didn't like the i guess vitriol that was like being shoved into the players like side like oh these you know rich whatever you know prima donnas it's like well hey listen like these owners are trying to get every piece of dollar they can from the player that is the product that's on the field that you're coming to watch yeah yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, everybody's got to, at, at some point, everybody has to look out for their own yeah. best interest. What is it like whenever you get uh, traded? Is that, because, you know, that's that's another weird deal is like, you know, you, you spent, yeah. what, eight years in Cincinnati and, you know, they preach yeah. this, okay, like, you know, you're the Cincinnati yeah. boy, you're the Cincinnati yeah. kid, and then it's like, well, yeah. now you're going to the Mets. So, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of emotions there. Um, so in, in, in a lot of ways, like, once you get traded, it's like, all right, you, there, there's like these emotions you feel like, man, these guys don't fucking want me anymore. They don't care. Like what I, the, everything I've done for them, this and that. And then like once the dust settles, you're honestly, you feel a little liberated. Like it's like, hey, like now I don't have any like any behold. I'm not beholden to, to anybody. I, I can be beholden to myself for a little bit. Like this is now a business. And like loyalty is not, does not exist. Like it, it only exists for as long as the team needs you. Right. And no, there are obviously are very rare scenarios where one player stays with the team his whole career. And even if he probably doesn't deserve to, you know, have the contract he has anymore because he's so old and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But that really doesn't happen that much. And, you know, so for me, once I left Cincinnati, it kind of came a traveling circus for me. Like I was, you know, I got traded all over the place and, um, you know, I ended up liking playing for the Mets. So I, I signed back there as a free agent, uh, in 2000, after 2017 and I just didn't play well. I was, I was, I got hurt a couple times. And so that didn't work out for me as great as I wanted it to, but like, you know, getting to experience other clubhouses and other kind of, um, environments ended up being a lot of fun. You know, I, I think back there's a couple guys, really just one. I think Joey Votto is still on the Reds. He's the only player left from the team that I was on. And it's just crazy to me that, like, he hasn't experienced any other clubhouse mm -hmm. or city or anything. And I'm very thankful for being able to do that. But it is a whirlwind, man. Like, I basically found out that the trade was final on the bottom line you know, on ESPN, <laughs> we were off on the trade deadline. And I, I kind of heard rumblings, but like it was official when I saw it across the board and I had, a, we had a young son, we had, a, we had our first child in April of 2016. I got traded in July. So like, here we are in our condo in Cincinnati on an off day. And like <laughs> my wife's sitting there with our three month old and like, I got to leave to go to New York. And so she's there and like, that's it. I was playing the next day. You know, I was playing facing Tanaka in the subway series the next day. Holy cow. What yeah. a, but that's, what's funny because, you know, you see all these, uh, analyst types and they're like, Oh, he should take a hometown discount. And this this town's been good to him. And it's like, no, the yeah. moment he start, the moment his stats start to decline, 
they're going to trade them or cut them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And listen, it is your prerogative as a player. If you want to take a discount because you want to stay a place, that's great. Yeah. But I do not get I mean, you are allowed and encouraged to go chase and make every single dollar that you can. Like Zach Grinke, he he someone asked him one time, like during the winter meetings or something like, hey, like, what's it going to come down to for you as far as where you sign? He goes, I'm going to sign whoever gives me the most money. That's where I'm signing. And it's like, for once, someone actually fucking says the truth. You know? It's what everybody's thinking. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it's like, he pulled the bandaid off. He's like, to hell with this. I'm going to where I get the most money. If that's Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Tampa, I'm going there. See, I I understand a guy like Pudge Rodriguez when he was going to get traded from Texas the first time. And he went into uh, Tom Greaves' office and said, hey, I want to stay here. And went there without his agent. And I'm yeah. sure it pissed his agent off, but he wanted to stay there. His family was there. He'd been on the team. And I understand that. Like you said, that's your prerogative sure. as a player. But yeah. you are – you now, baseball contracts are guaranteed, right, forever. There's, like, there's yeah. still guys getting paid that hadn't played in seven, eight years that have been hurt. Well, I saw Ken yeah. Griffey's. He's like the fifth or sixth highest paid red player on the, on the, yeah. on the team this year. Yeah. You know, Bobby Bonilla Day is like May the – Yes. Know, it's, com- it's coming up. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's still getting paid. I mean, Gil Mesh, you can look it up. Gil Mesh, like, or no, Jason Schmidt signed a three or $50 million deal. And I think he made three or four starts. Like, it just didn't, you know, and that's the beauty. I mean, God bless America, you know, like it's, uh, that's, that's the thing. And, and, you know, bless whoever the, you know, the union heads, Michael Weiner and Donald Fear, the guys before, you know, before me that, that fought for all that stuff. And that's, uh, that's what makes baseball like, you know, one of the head, head and shoulders above a lot of these other sports is it's all guaranteed, man. Like, and it was all fought for and bargained for. And, you know, the, the line in the sand was never crossed in that sense. So it was good. The NFL is really screwing up because they're going to these guaranteed deals and the NFL is a different monster. And that's why you should take all that bonus money you get up front. But Kyler Murray is going to be the straw that breaks the camel back on this deal. Because he's gonna he's gonna hold out, and I think I think Arizona is nuts. For, I would not even negotiate with him. He's got three more years on his contract. You're gonna play at least two more years before I negotiate. You're gonna win something before I give you any money. But his little, and he's gonna get hurt because he's just not very damn big. And they're gonna be on the line for about 150 million dollars, and he ain't gonna play but another year or two, I think, because they're getting hurt. You know what, what's interesting about the NFL deal too, and I understand that not all the money's guaranteed, so I guess this gives them some leverage one way or another, but. In baseball, you can't just go ask for a new contract. Yeah, I don't like that. Like, yeah, sure, you want one. That's that's great. Uh, you have three years left on your deal, so sorry. Yeah, we're seeing that more and more. It's like whenever the market resets or whenever somebody gets paid right. higher. Oh. Yeah, yeah, like, wait a second, wait a second. Like, I, I need this contract now. It's like, no, you signed a five-year deal and we're on year two. Yeah, and I don't know if there's like a good faith deal going on. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of good faith in football, really. And it doesn't seem no, that way. No. And I don't know if it's like an understood like, hey, since the money's not guaranteed, like you're you're allowed, we will we will listen to requests for, you know, upgraded deals or whatever. But I've always thought that was interesting that you can just go the football, you can request a trade, you can request a new contract, and it a lot of times it happens. Yeah, I don't what gets me is, in Arizona, I'm going to use the example, 
The only way to win the NFL anymore is you really got to watch that salary cap unless you're the Rams, and I don't know how they yep. get by with it. But the way, the way to win is to have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Kansas City did it. Seattle yep. did it. So Arizona drafts a quarterback that turns out to be pretty decent, nothing great, and they get him on this rookie deal. Well, now he's played two years, and now he wants $40 million. Well, that kills your whole reason of drafting him in the first place to – to, to have all that money and stuff and i'm like i wouldn't i wouldn't negotiate with him he has no room to, to really he don't really have a lot of negotiation leverage other than they're scared of it but all these wide receivers right now debo samuels uh aj brown and terry mclaurin none of them were first round draft picks so after yeah. this year they're free agents so they're going to get uh franchise every one of them makes less than two million dollars a year and they're seeing guys making 20 million dollars playing the same position sure and they all want that money but it, if I was the NFL owners, I would stick to making people listen. This is the contract you get. We don't come to you when you don't perform and ask you to give us half your money back. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, man. It really is. I, I'm not I'm not sure of the all the the work, inner workings of that whole deal. I don't know if there's something that I don't understand about the way contracts work or or what. But it's it is it's it's a sport that has always been intriguing in the sense that you can just go ask for a new contract or ask to get traded, and it happens. Yeah, yeah. baseball, it don't happen. Mm-mm. No. no. What? What? Uh, the first time you go yard in a major league stadium, like, is there? Are you like, okay, I did it, or is it more like, holy shit, I did it? Well, mine was a walk off. Oh, really? So oh, it was kind of like, holy shit, holy shit, it went. Yeah, and it didn't take long. It was like the fourth game I was up. Like, I had a crazy like first two weeks of my career, bro. Like, yeah, it was, I was reading about it. Yeah, it was nuts. It was a game was easy for a couple weeks, and I never forget. So my idol growing up was Ken Griffey Jr. and um, got to play with him. Yeah, and yeah. my debut, I played center field and he played right field, which was like the twilight zone because he's the best center fielder ever, and I'm borderline league average runner that. Should not be. It was not going to be a center fielder. I was a right fielder, but man, it was crazy. And I remember after a couple games, he came to me after I did something awesome, and he was like, "Hey, man, only downhill from here." Only downhill. And I was like, <laughs> and then looking back, he was like, he was right. Yeah, like he was exactly yeah. right, you know. Um, but yeah, that moment was was crazy, and I had already had a lot of success like up to that moment, and so it was like. At that time, it's probably like it's about fucking time at home run. Like, what took so long, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. um, I was on quite the like the hot hand, you know. I was the number one prospect in baseball, and I was hitting three seventy in AAA when I got called up, and like, you know, there was a lot going my way at that point. So um, that first couple of weeks was crazy, though, man. I was like, yeah, this is easy. I got I'm plates on fifty, you know. How how much does that? That's that's so interesting that you're like, this is easy. I've got it figured out. It was, it was is, crazy. It, is it just what is it at that time? Is it just good fortune? Is it you're just so laser focused and dialed in on the, on season this moment? I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was chance. You know, I think that you go up and like you you know you're hitting well. Like you know, you had the momentum and the momentum kind of carried over. And I wasn't nearly as nervous as I thought I would be mm-hmm. when I got called up. Like I don't know why it was uh, should have been. You know, thought I was gonna be. But for me, it was just like, hey, this is still baseball. Like, I'm still playing the game. And I was almost too stupid at the time to even, you know, like notice anything. You know, my, I hit the walk-off home run. And the next day, my first at bat, I hit a home run off Tim Hudson. And then, like, Tom Glavin came in the next day. And, like, it was just a lot of, like, 
a lot of that stuff that was happening, like the, the, the guys that I grew up watching, mm-hmm. I was like facing and performing against, you know, um, it's just, uh, it was like, a, I don't know. It was crazy. It was like a dream. You're, you're, pl- you're playing center field. Y'all played on AstroTurf too, didn't you on Cincinnati at no, that time? No, yeah, we're at the new field, the new stadium. Great American was, was grass. Okay. Grass. And you're playing center field. What'd you run the 40 in? I never ran the 40. I, my best 60 time was on a track, and it was a 6.53. Like, I was a, I was a tick yeah. above average when I got called up. You're a fast white boy then. Yeah, yeah, I was fast enough, you know, fast enough. And then – but it, everyone always knew that, like, the transition was going to move. Like, Griffey got traded in August, and I moved to right field then, basically. So, um, power and my arm strength were my calling cards, you know. I always tell people I'm in the 60-60 club. I have 60 stolen bases and 60 homers in the big league. So, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, did something to, to me? The routine pop fly for an, a major league outfielder seems to me like that'd be the hardest fucking thing in the whole world to do. <laughs> you got forever because you got God Almighty. I hope I don't fuck this up in front of all these people. <laughs> That's a bunch of them. If I tell you that, I'm not a bunch, but I mean, I you know, I remember one time I was Roy Oswald hit me a fly ball like a can of corn, shit little fly ball, and I just fucking dropped it. Like, <laughs> Just, you know, and it's just a lack of focus. You know, you think back and you're like, yeah, you watch the video and like your eyes come up just a little bit before the ball goes in your glove. And like it happens, man. And it's uh, it's it is humbling for sure. You know, that that's what I always. So if you look, I mean, if you look back at highlights of me or, or whatever, like there wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance. Like there wasn't like I wasn't a real like fiery, like uh, showboaty type player, I guess, you know. I was always so nervous that it was going to go the other way. Like right. I was nervous if I hit a home run and I started walking, it was going to hit the wall. Yeah. And like, I didn't want to be the guy standing on first base, <laughs> you know? And it's, uh, it's always interesting to me, the people that can like have that, like, so like feel themselves like that because it's like, man, I was like, it was, uh, I was trying to just to keep, <laughs> stay the line and get every base I could, you know, it was, uh, I don't know. I was, I had an issue with that. I, I was always, I wish I hadn't looking back, like in the moment, I'm like, man, I wish I had a better dismount. I wish I had a cooler, you know, home run try, but it's mm-hmm. like, dude, you, ain't, you are who you are, you know, like, yeah, I didn't know it was going to go yard to be quite honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most interesting no. teammate you ever had? Uh, it's gotta be Joey Votto probably. I mean, he's got a wide array of interests and, you know, he was always, kind of reinventing himself in, in different ways. And he was, a he was a savant, man, like a hitting in baseball savant. He was someone like, I was really naturally gifted at the game and Joey like willed himself to be a hall of famer. Basically like he wasn't qu- like, it would take him multiple weeks in spring training to really get going. Mm-hmm. And like, he would come sometimes and look like he'd never swung a bat before. And I'm like, holy shit! Like, what? What happened in the off season? Like, what did you for like something? How did you hit your head? Like, I don't know. It, it, you would come in, and he would, he would look crazy. And sure enough, man, March 27th. I mean, he turns it on, and he, you know, led the led the league in on base for seven years in a row or something. Like, just an incredible hitter and, and really, really talented, incredible player. And he's got to be the most interesting all around person I've ever I've ever experienced in the game. So how much do you try to tweak and and do differently? Like you said, he would reinvent himself every year. Like how how much do you try to improve on what's already there? And then how much 
are you like, okay, I'm just going to dance with the one that brought me and this is what I know and this is what I'm going to stick yeah. to doing? Generally, I think my approach was like dance with who brung you kind of deal. Um, but I also like looking back, I think that by, by being able to put up the same numbers for how long I did was like a testament to evolving and improving because the game consistently changed. Like right, it consistently right. got better. The shift started happening. Pitchers started throwing harder. Everything was more sophisticated. And to be able to, you know, be a 250 with 30 home run guy when I'm 22 and also be that when I'm 32, like I improved. Right. You know, I, I did right. get better. And what was really interesting is my whole, I mentioned strikeouts before in the beginning, and my whole like bugaboo my, throughout my career was striking out too much. Oh, I strike out too much, strike out too much. And every single year I'd go in with this new like mental approach of how I'm going to strike out less. And every fucking year I hit 250 with 32 home runs and 90-something RBIs and 140 strikeouts. Like <laughs> It didn't matter how I approached it. Like That is what happened. And I think when kind of the light bulb went off for me is when I had some of my best years is like quit worrying about and focusing on what you do poorly so much. Like quit trying to just fix what you do poorly and try and focus on like fill the stat sheet with more of what you do well. And then, you know, inadvertently the stuff you do poorly will go away. Like some of it will go away. And that's where I became the most efficient version of myself is when I when I figured that out and like took that mental approach to it. You played with some interesting. You first of all, you played for Dusty Baker, who's a incredible human being. And then you played with the kid from Cuba that could throw the smoke. Yep. Now awesome. he he was a wild child, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I feel like we were talk. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. I feel like they get a bad rap, man. Like, listen, this guy came from a communist country. Like, yes. <laughs> Like his, he told me a story one time, his, so, you know, a, a Nike, a pair of Nike shoes, right? They were 90, 85, 90, hundred dollars, whatever, just like they are here. His father made $85 a year, like $12 a month or whatever it is, you know, or $10 a month or whatever, like something like a hundred dollars a year or something like that. Like crazy, crazy low amount of money, right? And so, like, the things that we take for granted over here and then, like, you know, the authority that we respect here, it's like, or all this is like, I, I escaped communists. Yeah. Like, what is a fine for being late to the bus going to do to me? Like, this is not even, like, this is not a punishment. You know, like, sorry, I was in my room eating filet because I've never had filet mignon before, before I came to America because beef is a delicacy here you know like you know like and so they get kind of a bad rap for like being these like you know bad teammates or you know bad professionals it's like well they need a little more grace like they just escaped a really bad situation in in cuba and you know he tried to get his family over here for months on end and didn't know if they were dead or alive or if they got picked up at the dock or like there's a lot of shit they have going on, man. Like they are, they deserve a little more grace than they have. And, you know, you hear a lot of guys, we, we hear a lot, like if they have interpreters, like, Oh, why do they have interpreters? This is America. Like they need to, you know, do better. It's like, 
bro, why don't I drop you off in the Dominican Republic or yeah. fucking Japan and see how you do? You know, like even when you know the language, they don't want to mess up and say anything that embarrasses themselves or the team. So they have an interpreter, you know, like there's a lot of things that these guys get bad raps for that are undeserving, you know? But, well, and, and, and all the while they're expected to perform on a baseball diamond. Absolutely. Like, it's not like you got a nine to five and like, okay, no, just put, crunch home. these numbers and make sure you don't fu- make an accounting error. It's like, we're yeah. going to put you on national television uh, and we want, yeah. And we want you to fucking square up, uh, square up around bat on a round ball. And, and, that, and good then luck. you at the end of the game in English. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. And then your family might get abducted by the cartel mm-hmm. while you're pitching. And you might not ever know. You might never see him again. That's, yeah, that's yeah. a whole different world, that's for sure. Another guy that you played with that I always thought was pretty interesting was Arthur Rhodes. Yeah. Um, do you know Arthur? No, but I I used to really be a big baseball fan. I don't ever watch baseball anymore, but I used to. But he always seemed like he would be a mean son bitch. He was my least favorite person I ever played with. Well, then I guess that's about right what I thought about um, him then. And I think it was honestly like, one, I, I feel like he was like, yeah, he, he didn't like me very much at all. Um, <laughs> honestly, I yeah. And, you know, to be real honest, like, I think there was just a super, um, like, break in communication of the eras. Like, he, he was, his he debuted in 1988. You know, like, it was some, like, it was a much tougher game then. Just, you know, everybody gets softer as they, as the generations grow. Things get easier and. You know, he did. He had a lot of issues about the things that we were afforded as rookies. You know, and like, I don't know. It, he's my least favorite person I've ever played with, and I respect him as a player, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't care too much for him as a, as a guy. See, he come across as a grouchy old fucker. The he was. That's what he come across he, as. He yeah, you nailed it for sure. <laughs> I called that one day. just watching him around the mound and shit. He seemed like an everybody I played with for fourteen years. <laughs> You said Arthur Rhodes. That is hilarious. I was man. just I was, supposed, I was supposed to do this podcast. <laughs> when, I, when I was just looking at the rosters of some of the teams you were on, and I'm thinking there's some interesting players there, and he was one of them. He always seemed like a grouchy ass. He always he did. Was. And I'll tell you another one that always seemed that way you was Patrick. Guys, you, need them. you know, you definitely need him. Yeah, he was he was very helpful, especially when we won the division in 2010. Um, I feel like he was still on our team. Then. Yeah, he was. He was looking. Yeah, like it was on roster. Yeah, roster. and he was a big part of that. Like, you know, that, that kind of no bullshit, like, Hey, this is how we win kind of deal was, was important. And, and, and I, I tell you another guy that seems that way. And people, boy, people out here are going to rip me on this. Cause they love his son, Patrick Mahomes. Dad always seemed like he'd be a grouchy fucker too. I didn't play with him. No, no, I knew that, but he just always seemed that way. Also the same kind of guy. Yeah. And he I may be great. The greatest guy in the world, but he seemed kind of grouchy. Yeah. So, what are the here then? What were the facilities like in Cincinnati? Because, like, their football team, they don't even have, like, an indoor practice facility. The facilities in Cincinnati were nice, man. Were they? they? uh, Yeah, the stadium was pretty new, and um, they took great care of us there. They really did. The the clubhouse was one of the kind of the newer, like, one of the first newer clubhouses, you know, so – good great facilities like it was it was really nice great the field was great the ballpark's beautiful um it was interesting is uh, this kind of ages me a little bit even though i'm semi-young is when when i got when i got there we did not have service cell phone service in the clubhouse oh like cell phone service was still so spotty in like areas like that you know 
So they had they gave us phones to be able to like communicate with our families outside of the stadium. It was really I, I was blown away by that as a 21 year old. I was like, what? You get a free phone? <laughs> the, but the Reds are different than the Bengals are because the Reds are a machine. They were you right. know Johnny Bench, Joe yeah. Morgan, them guys were the Bengals of been the, the Bengals bungles. forever and you know you go you you're lucky you're just practicing under the freeway like we should have you yeah. on the freeway yeah I, I like Burrow though man I think he's gonna I think he's gonna do he's gonna be a good representation of, for that team for a long time he's fun to root for well he is easy to root for one of our guides is his 17th cousin and you'd think that they were best friends the way we hear about <laughs> him all the time so all the time that's all we hear about is Joe Burrow Joe, Joe Burrow Joe you know Burrow. Joe Burrow is my cousin yeah, we've. It's like, yeah, he's sitting yeah. in the Bengals locker room right now talking about Blake. Talking Poppy. about you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't know. Okay, it's, it's fun. Let's talk. Let's let's talk duck calls now. You All can right. make a small fortune in this because you're starting out with a large fortune. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. A, I call it a passion project. Yeah. How 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 do you get into? First of all, Beaumont is by Anawak. National Wildlife Refuge is down there, which is one of the most famous. I'm fifty. I'm fifty four. So when I grew up as a kid, that was a real famous area back when we had yeah. winter and it was we had normal winters. That was a huge duck hunting area. The Yensen calls have been around since what the fifties. Yeah, fifty nine. The actual company was founded. Fifty two was the patent, um, and I think fifty nine is when they won the worlds. Um, he was the first double. So we invented the double reed duck call. Invented and patented it. And then was the first double read to win the world championships. So 1959. And then, so, so you get out of baseball and then you yep. want to get into the hunting world. Not really. No, no, no. So my neighbor, um, who actually has this, the coach pitch, um, girls team that whipped our ass, <laughs> um, he is a beer distributor, like a beverage distributor around here, a Miller Coors distributor. And we were sitting around one day and he's like, he's like, dude, you're 34 years old. Like, you're not going to be able to sit on your ass and just do nothing. Like, you don't do nothing well. Like, that's not you, right. you know? He's like, I have a guy that I'm on the pilot, the like tugboat pilots commission with. Like, they, I don't know, the rivers and the tugboat, they, they help kind of govern that deal or whatever. He's like, I... I want to put you in touch with him. He owns sure shot game calls. And I'm like, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, for what? He's like, well, he's like, it may be a fun deal for you. And he has mentioned like wanting to maybe move on from it. He's got kids in high school. He's got a wife that I think is going to start med school. We ought to just go to lunch. Well, man, we could no quicker sit down at Carabas for lunch. And he was talking about potentially wanting to get rid of, this company. So it intrigued me because like, I love out, I love the outdoors. I love hunting. I, you know, it's a local business and it's got such a crazy history to it, you know? And so I start thinking about, it, I'm like, man, this is crazy enough to where this might actually fit what I'm looking to do. You know, like if it can not just waste a bunch of money for me. And if this guy's actually serious about getting rid of it, then I would like to consider it. You know, it needs this, it needs that. It's so old. It's, you know, whatever. So we start talking, and our first conversations were not fruitful whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I felt like his head was in the clouds with what he was, you know, wanting to let go for, and you know, he was thought I was being disrespectful with, you know, kind of the, the offer because of the brand and all that stuff. And like, I respected where he was coming from, but it was like, hey, at some point, this is a business deal, and like, it doesn't make sense. 
So we circled back, and he uh, basically got down to, you know, we got to similar playing fields, and we got a deal done. And I, I um, retired in April, on April the 18th, and I owned a duck call business on October the 1st. That fast. That fast. How long had you, how long did so you retired in April? When did you have the the first meeting with this gentleman? Probably mid May. Mid May. Yeah. So, so it took through what three months, four months to yeah. kind of get them down to. We had some conversations, and you know, it was a while before I actually made it my first offer, and you know, I had even considered you know kind of trying to do my own thing at that point because I'm like, oh, if this doesn't work out, I'm just gonna start you know making calls and be you know make outdoor gear, and that would have been a terrible idea, by the way. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, so it worked out in October. I had the company sign the papers on September 30th and hit the ground running in October. So um, here we are. Are I, you a big waterfowl hunter? I know, I know that sounds that sounds no, I, dumb, I, but. Yeah, I love it. Um, I was more of a dove hunter growing up, but when I got drafted, the seasons just lined up perfectly. Perfect. You know? Absolutely. It can't be any better. Yeah, it can't be any better. So I fell in love with it, like starting in 2005, basically, and just kind of grew on me from there, grew on me from there. And then, you know, the way I kind of used it, the way I kind of looked at it was like, I got to do, I got to live my dream out my first half of my life. And then the second half, like, I don't have to like go chase something. I didn't want to get back in the game. Like I don't want to announce, I don't want to be part of the media or anything like that. And I'm like, this is a great, you know, thing to kind of dip my toe in the water, you know, create some relationships with people in the industry and really learn about it and, you know, have something that can be fun, you know, kind of re revamp a brand that people used to absolutely love and really have it. We'll have an easy time being a part of again, if it goes, if I can get it back to where I think it should be. That's got to be a tough conversation because from his perspective, from his perspective, he's got this legendary brand that's got all this history yeah. to it. And then from your perspective, it's like, okay, but I, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to him, but it's like, there's a million other call companies right now that have a social media print and they're established in the way that calls are sold today. Today. Yep. So you you so, got to kind of like juggle the two. Yeah, like be respectful of the of like the heritage and like right. pay homage to the history, but also like I said, I was like, bro, you got to realize like if I buy this company, it can't be your grandpa's call company anymore. Like that just can't happen. It, it needs to, it needs to level up quite a bit. Yes. And it has the ability to because it has an actual story to tell and it has history and the ring has already been kissed for it in the industry. Like there are so many people who used to blow sure shot or you sure shot or my first call was a Jensen or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But nowadays there's too many people doing too good of a job marketing that are doing better, you know? And like, there was no sales efforts. Like they weren't, it was kind of like a word of mouth. You know, if you know, sure shot and you liked it, you bought the stuff. Right. He did start uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, got started an e-commerce site. So for for that, like I tip my hat to him. He kept it alive. He kept it going. Really gave me the opportunity to take it and bring it to where I think it's going to go. And so, 
that has been fun. Like we revamped the the logos, like we updated them. Like when I when I got the company, this logo like um, that I have on the hat mm-hmm. was not a logo that the hat was that that was made for the company. Um, and you know the guy that did the work for us, he kind of nailed it. I said I wanted it to feel like it's always been there. Like it's it's like in 1959, this these logos were created, and they still play today. And I think he did a really good job with kind of revamping it and updating it. Yeah, I think it. Lo- I think the logo looks fantastic because the- it, it has that old school kind of like it looked like it could be in a magazine in the fifties. Yeah, and we're not trying to be like the edgy, sexy like you know. We're trying to feel like leather and like vintage and heritage. Like that's what that's what we're trying to embody as a brand. You know, so right. I think they did a good job with it. I think a lot of that's coming back to like the old sure shot um, yeah. on the poster back there. You got with the the mallard on it. Yeah. The behind you on your right side. Which behind you? Well, they're both behind them, dickhead. Well, no, that's the, your other side. The, the one with the the, the, the the one with cowboy on it. Oh. The poster behind you. Yeah, that one. Right Fernandez. Yeah. James cowboy. Fernandez. That that old yeah. that old that logo right there. How long has that logo yeah. been around? I mean, they started that logo in probably like, in, who knows, in the '60s, '70s, probably. That is one of the iconic hunting yep. deals sure. from back in the day. And see, I appreciate that because I'm old and I like old stuff. Yeah. And I'm noticing the flat bill boys now are getting more into the old authentic stuff because yeah. as, I, as they get older, they appreciate more old stuff. And that's going to be, I think, a feather in our hat. You know, like we have that. We're not creating that. We're not. We're not like ma- fabricating vintage we are vintage yeah. like that's something that we can we can hang on to and we can kind of own you know and not ever have to like fake it i guess yeah i mean you've you've got a history that's already well established people already know your history and it's just a matter of you know getting your products out there and and having people you know kind of catch up with the times and have a social media presence and you know it's fun and, it's, it's a and, project for you that for sure. And that's the deal for me. Like I, I see a lot of companies out there that make incredibly awesome calls, beautiful calls and market their asses off. Yeah. And I'm like, we're going, I, I'm certain that we're going to make great calls and, and good looking calls. And they're going to, we're going to, you know, we have the story to tell, like we have to market it correctly, obviously. But if we can make, if we can make the calls in the product, like everyone else is making that quality, mm-hmm paired with our heritage and history, we've got a better story to tell than anybody. Yeah. It's it's absolutely amazing to me. I've been in the waterfowl business for 30 years, and that's a long time to be in this game. Yeah. And I have never in my life did I think that the call companies would explode like they have. If you'd have told me 25 years ago, when I first got in the business, you bought a night in hell call, you mm-hmm. bought an R&T duck call, or you bought a Tim Grounds goose call. And yeah. there was other companies. Y'all's company was around. There was a lot of them around. And nowadays, there's so many duck call companies. And the guy, people, I, I, the, all the young guys that come here, they buy seven, eight calls a year. Yeah. And it just, oh, yeah. it just shocks the shit out of me. The people, yeah. and it just grows and grows and grows and grows. And For sure. So there is a huge market in the call company. It's when I first started guiding 30 years ago, I bought one call. I wouldn't have spent a hundred dollars, but one time. And that was all I bought. Right. They're like pieces of art now. You yes. know, it's like hats or shoes. Yes. Like you don't, you don't have just to have one call. Like if it looks good or you know the guy or it's a cool brand or it's got a story, like people will buy it. Yeah. And it's crazy. 
And yeah. like every time Pacific comes out with a new call, every one of my guys buys one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and it's every pro staff is that way with certain calls and stuff. And it just it just amazes me yeah. the amount of calls out there. But because every time I think, well, that market's got to be saturated, boom. It's all every year it's like it's like Chevrolet, I guess, with the new car. They yeah. come out with a new yeah. product, someone's got to buy it. Well, that's, you know, that's my deal too. And, and I've kind of heard that like some of the call industry people are a little chippy or like they're, you know, not the nicest group of people or whatever. Yeah. And like, that's just not the approach that I'm taking. And like, I, I'm, there's room for a lot of people in this industry and I'm not trying to dominate your lanyard. I just want to be a part of it. And I want you to appreciate the stuff that we're doing. Like, I want you to appreciate the story. I want you to think our calls look great and sound great. And like, I want you to be able to like be a part of a brand that is like, that you're proud to talk about. And there are a lot of other brands out there like that. Like, I'm not claiming that I want to be the only one or I want to crush anybody else. Like I want to have fun with this, make great products and like be able to do shit like this. Yeah. That would make a great t-shirt. I don't want to dominate your lanyard. I just want to be part of it. Yeah. That would be a damn good t-shirt. I've never heard that before. Well, and you know, Jeff mentioned Pacific. We're we're teamed up with them, but it was Trevor's idea that we do this podcast. He was like, "Yeah, I talked to Jay at, at Ducks," and he mentioned Great. he's awesome. He's like, "I mentioned the podcast, and that that Jay ought to come on it, and that yeah. y'all should reach out and touch base." And no, dude, like, those That's guys, so, yeah, man, they were so cool. They were so like very well, like a lot of hospitality, you know. And like some of the other companies weren't like that there. And I'm not going to name any names because it doesn't matter. But right, I have like, a pretty good idea. It was it was confusing because I'm like I didn't do anything to this person you mm-hmm. know what I mean like I just came to introduce myself because I felt like that's a respectful thing to do and like I'm new to the industry and you know the Pacific guys were so welcoming and super fucking cool so I appreciate that it it is a cutthroat I, I'm sure all businesses are hunting business is really a cutthroat business and mm-hmm. as I've aged in this business I've learned. It's a lot better just get along with people and try to work together. I mean, there's a huge number of customers out there for everyone to have. Yeah. And, and being a good being a good guy in the business will pay off down the road a long way. Yeah. Like why but, burn bridges? You know. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's there's not not worth it for me. There's a lot of bur- bridge burners too out there. A lot of them, and yep. I don't I don't get that at all. But, but I was I was blown away. He was like, "Yeah, I was talking to Jay, and like I mentioned that because you, you know like." There's there's some companies that are like, well, we sponsor your podcast. We don't want you talking to anybody else that se- sells a similar product. But Trevor's like, huh? Fucking, I told him that y- yeah. y'all would be reaching out, and I was like, oh, it's it's it was cool super, and they were they were like I said, very welcoming, and it was like a cool energy because it's like they didn't have to do that, you know, they didn't have to do that, and um, you know, I think that there's probably too like I was appreciative that they kind of like wanted to kind of get to know us as well because i think there's a lot of probably preconceived notions by people too that just assume that like since i played baseball for a long time and i was good at it and i made a bunch of money that like probably an asshole you know Mm -hmm. and it's like i was i was thankful that like these guys were like dude i don't give a fuck what you did before this like you're cool we're hanging out like we're all doing this together like let's chill you know like let's let's talk and you know hearing kind of what what they're doing versus what we're doing and like it's i bought one of their calls they bought one of my calls, you know, it was, it was cool. I've never met an ex baseball player and the ones I deal with all hunt have always been good guys. Football players yeah. are dickheads. A lot of them, but baseball <laughs> players are not most no. of the baseball yeah. players. Are pretty good. Guys. And I ain't gonna say that because James Washington is a great friend of ours. And he's a great guy that plays for the, well, he plays for the Cowboys now as wide receiver. He's a good guy, but most football players I've met over the years are real douchebags. <laughs> Wonder why that is. I think because they got God complex. Most of them from the seventh grade on playing football, 
not all of them, but a lot of them did, where baseball players have to go through the minors and stuff. Now, they're not all bonus babies like Jay here. A lot of them guys, you know. What's a bonus baby? I know nothing. They get the big bonus right out. That's just what they call it. Big check out when you get drafted. Yeah. But oh. you're a good guy because you bought your mom and dad a house. And that that, to that, me, that speaks doesn't make world. me a good guy. Yeah, it does. Yes, in my heart, it does. That's You were raised right. You're a good person. Yeah, I could say that for sure. You didn't buy a fur coat and three Mercedes Benz. Not yet. Not yet, but it's coming. Hey, do you? Fuck, I might. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Take a, a bunch of money off duck calls, I might. <laughs> do you remember Lamar Latham that played football for the Houston Oilers and played at University of Houston? He was a linebacker. He got drafted. He bought seven Mercedes so he could drive one every day of the week, a different car. Jesus. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about right there. So, yeah. so how has uh, retirement been for you? Because when we had Fergie and Jim on, Jim said for the first 10 years – about four thirty, he would start like feeling like he needed to do something. Like Ten he, years? Yeah, he yeah. said. He said, "I'll have to go back and look." Jim's an he, eclectic fucker, though. That's yeah. why. But yeah. he um, he said, "Yeah, he was a, he was a relief pitcher. Like he's a he's an odd cat." But he said, "You know, there was a certain time every evening where he was like, okay, like I need to do something." So retirement has been good to me so far. Um, I tell you what, I had struggled with a little bit is like time management so basically my schedule was made for me for 17 18 years you know i'd wake up i'd eat breakfast i'd go to the field about two o'clock i'd go home i'd go to bed about two or three in the morning and i'd do it again every single day for a long time then i had kids so then i started waking up a little earlier during the day and you know my wife would take them to the park or something so they weren't allowed in the house so i could sleep a little bit but i'd wake up at nine o'clock every morning or whatever meet them for breakfast, go to the field, you know, like my schedule was made for me. Then you get to the field and it's like, you're, you have like by the minute, like I'd start putting my socks on at six thirty, you know, every single day. And at six o'clock I'd have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a banana, like <laughs> stuff like that. Every single day. It's like you, you, it's ingrained into you. And so getting away from that and having just like this blank canvas to do whatever I wanted with has been a little bit of struggle, especially with, owning a company like you know my working times bleed into family time and like you know I, I i don't have i'm not the most efficient with my time management right now but as far as like missing the game or like feeling like i'm you know like should be doing something else i really don't man I, i've got two young i have a three and a five year old we spent i mean we have so much fun doing stuff with them we i'm assistant coach on the three-year-olds team head coach of the five-year-olds team you know, um, I have a gr great group of friends and family that like I've missed so many years with of like being involved in their lives. I'm really focusing on trying to do that more. And then, you know, I have to turn down opportunities to do stuff. And like when it comes to the call stuff, you know, I mean, you could do stuff all the time every month. And so my schedule is still super full and, you know, there's a sense of purpose to it and I'm still feeling fulfilled. So it's, it, it hasn't, hasn't been a, a much of a miss. It was weird that I didn't pack up on February 15th and head to Florida or Arizona, but you know, I still love the game. Like I watch it. I still like, I, I know the players, like that stuff's still fun to me. I don't, there's no complex where like I can't watch it or can't be a part of it or can't do any of that. So the being out of the game hasn't really affected me too much. It's it's crazy because I kind of go through that when hunting season's over. Like, yeah, 
because you're now all of a sudden February rolls around and you got all this time in the world. And yeah. my day is I wake up at three 30, I'm at yeah. the lodge by, you know, I'm out here by four 15, uh, breakfast. We leave the lodge at five. So like, it's all regimented. It's, it's hectic and it's all day long, but like every minute of my day, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And then February gets here. And I mean, it's, 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 as hectic as hectic as it is, it's simple. It's like it's simple, this is what we do. Relaxed. Like it's very, it gives you a peace of mind. Like it gives you like some like in your mind, you know exactly what's going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then February gets here, and it's like, okay, what do you? Oh, uh, uh, it's eight o'clock, and I'll do a podcast at ten, and you know we'll talk for yeah. an hour roughly, and then I'll be home at lunch, and then what? Yeah. What am I gonna do then? Yeah. What? What shows are you doing? In are you doing any shows in Texas this summer? Any outdoor so shows? So we did the the Ducks Expo. Yes. Um, How was that? Did you did you enjoy it? You know, for us as a brand, it was good because it was like getting back out, introducing ourselves to people in the industry, uh, to Ducks Unlimited. People, you know, got to see kind of the rebranding. From what I understand from other companies that have been there in the past, it still kind of didn't meet the standards of what they expected when they went. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us, it was a good show. It was a good show. And, you know, I, I'm certain that, you know, I'm fairly certain that we'll probably be back to do it again. And, you know, I think that they're, they're actually trying to get a lot of feedback on what needs to improve. And so I think if they continue to do that and actually listen to the people that are the vendors and the people that are, you know, making the show a show, I think that it can be a successful event for sure. Are you doing any of the trophy hunter shows? No. So I didn't. So Dallas Safari, I think is like a wait list. Houston has already passed. I think my, my, my suggestion is mm -hmm. I would go to the Fort Worth trophy hunter show. Cause there's not a lot of, it wasn't very many call makers there last year. I don't do any shows anymore because they're, they're a waste to do what? When is that? That's in August. It's always in August. Okay, in August. I think it's the third. But if I was going to do a Texas a Texas Trophy Hunter show, I would do Houston or Fort Worth. I would not go to San Antonio because it's more of a deer hunting show. So Houston is a big – that would be a big goal for us because we're about 80 miles from Houston. And there's and a lot of waterfowl hunters there. A lot of waterfowl, especially along the coast and all that stuff. And we're in such a rich waterfowl hunting area. I mean – you know, like you mentioned, Anawak, and then we have China and Nome and all the rice farming and the marshes. Like we've got a lot of hunting opportunities. Like that's a big goal of mine is to kind of reestablish the brand in this area too. You know, like I feel like if you're in this area, you basically are gonna have to tell me no. Like you don't want to blow a sure shot call. Like that's just where I want to, how I want to approach it. You know, and I don't. It doesn't sound like the previous owner did a very good job of like nurturing relationships with the hunters around here. And that's something I aspire to do a better job of. Um, you know, uh, as far as other shows, no show, no tech, no other Texas shows on the docket. I think we're going to try and do Game Fair. Okay, that's a good. That's a really. I was going to recommend that, and I would try. Max has. I think Max Prairie Wings has a, a some kind of show in the summertime. Max has Palooza, and then Rogers has um, like their Waterfowl Weekend, which. Yeah. I would like to entertain as well. So that's another thing, man, is like I'm trying to get my ducks in a row for like where where am I supposed to go? You know, like I've got – I had no previous knowledge of like anything that had to do with this industry. So I'm kind of drinking out of a fire hose right now. Those, those things you mentioned are really good. The hunting shows in general have crashed 
the internet yeah. has changed that whole game. Because I went to Ducks. We were there. We walked around and visited. We were there for a couple of days at Pacific's booth and at Boss's booth. Yeah. A lot of our sponsors of the show were there. And um, I enjoyed it. I think they need to put it in a – they need to consolidate that show somehow. It's too, well, yeah, too spread out. Yeah. And, and the indoor booths get all the play. That they do. Yeah. And they need to figure out a place to have that where they can be everybody indoor. And I don't know much about that. that that's the first time I've been to Texas Motor Speedway. But From what it, Trevor and them were saying, though, it was light years. Better than the year better before. Better than it was the year before. Like, that's what I heard. It was fucking yeah. spread out all across the infield. You had to go, like, across four or five different. Yeah. It was so – they have made improvements from one year to the next, and I, if they can continue to make improvements, it'll be good. But the game it should fra- be like it should be a good right. It's Ducks Unlimited. Like right. they should put on a good water f- or you know hunting expo. Like game yeah. fair's good. Game um, fair Rogers is good. Uh, Max is going to be good in Texas. I yeah. honestly, the, the only trophy hunter show I would gone to would be the Fort Worth one, just because I went there last year and there wasn't a lot of duck call people there, and they had a decent crowd. But yeah, man, they charge so much for them boosts for what you get in front of anymore it's, compared to what it used to be like. And that's where I, you know where you kind of have to try and and kind of balance is like, all right, if I go take this money that I was going to make mm-hmm. or spend to get a booth and put it into marketing on instagram or facebook like you're probably going to get a better return on investment but for us right now it is important to put a face to the brand for me you know like i want people to know like hey this this guy has this brand now and you know just have them understand that a younger you know a more like this this brand is going you know gonna get revamped gonna get you know have a breath of fresh air you know breathe into it so yeah. Squad you, Fest yeah, also. Are you going to do dive, the Dive Bomb show in St. Louis? We did talk about that. Um, so I was on their podcast, which was, was I was appreciative of, the, of them having me on. Um, they mentioned that, and it sounds like a good show. I'm not, is it more like a festival or like what? I don't even. It's kind of both. So they'll have, last year at least, I don't, I'm assuming they're going to follow the similar uh, format. They had calling contests. Last year it was only, uh, Call oh company, call makers, and then there was like some, there was a dog booth there. But okay. evidently this year it's going to be open to every call makers, outfitters. Um, just if is you're, boss going? I think boss is going to be there. So it's going to be more like the uh, duck show. It was, okay. it was it was a good time. We did pod we did podcasts there last year. We had a great time. It yeah, was well, we were visiting with there all was our a lot of people friend. there. So yeah, that might be that's one cool. Of yeah, speaking of boss, man, so Lee's a big fan of Sure Shot. Lee's a, Lee, we had, we, Lee had, on we had him on yesterday. When I heard that, I was like, dude, this is badass. Like, and then especially like learning about his like history in the waterfowl photography game and then like, you know, him being the boss, having the kind of standing in the industry that it has. Yeah. It was cool. He sent me some pictures of some old school um, Jensen's that he shot pictures of and they were sick, dude. They, uh, it was super cool to, to have someone like that kind of kiss the ring for us, you know, which obviously he fits the mold of someone who is very familiar with, with sure shot. But to still be a fan and like be able to say, "Hey, this is an awesome brand. Like, we like what you're doing." was was uh, was a cool moment for me. Yeah, Lee is a class act, dude. I'm telling you, he's a fucking legend. And yeah, if there's seen. ever a chance that you could like work collaborate with him or anything, like he would be. If exactly. I if I were going to like launch a social media campaign or something like that, like you've got yeah. this rich heritage history. I mean, he created that with Boss, and they started in 2018. And exactly. then, like, he gave them the old school feel and the, yep. the tradition and heritage. And, like, that's what you've come to appreciate about Boss Shot Shells. 
Yeah. Like you've already got that. So yeah. if you could ever collaborate with Lee, like that would be, that'd be super cool. Yeah. I'm, I, I hope that that comes to fruition at some point. Yeah. Lee's a badass. We, like I said, we just talked to him yesterday. Cool. Um, are you make? are you going to like, what's your call lineup going to be? Are you going to make yeah. new calls? Are you kind of rebranding yeah. old calls or all the above? Uh, we are adding, adding, um, also subtracting. Um, there are some calls that we're going to kind of discontinue, uh, just don't really have a space in the market anymore. I don't feel like, and then we just released our new, so SureShot has never done a single read duck call. Wow. Uh, never done a J frame, always Louisiana style wedge peg deal. And it was, you know, and they never really wanted to do any, any of the J frame or single read stuff because we were the inventors of the double read call, which I respect the hell out of that. But Honda makes Accords and Jets. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's time to you have to evolve. You have to evolve, and so we worked really hard on creating a super cool uh, single read J frame style call that holds a lot of the same lines and shapes of of the old Sure Shot. And um, we released it. We kind of debuted it at the at the Duck Show. And um, so we have come out with that new call, which is called the NXT, kind of kind of hat tip to what's coming next for, mm-hmm. for the company. And um, we also took the Jensen, shrunk it to about 3.8 inches, and are making a super cool series of teal calls. Because Texas is teal heavy, yeah. heavy you know what I mean? And no one spends any time on teal calls, right? Like, they're all ugly, they're all cheap as hell. And so we took weird, I mean, we're acrylic, they're acrylic. They're one piece Jensen's that are acrylic that are sky blue. We've got a pearl green and then we've got a wood duck call. That's like a, like a wood duck colored, like swirl acrylic that, that we're doing too. So kind of introducing like a new, um, higher end teal call to the market that I think people are going to really like. Um, we're really, really excited about the single read call though. It sounds incredible. It looks awesome, and we've had great feedback on everyone that's used it so far. So, that's badass. Well, we look forward to uh, watching you grow this company and watching it Thanks. flourish. And uh, it's been a yeah, pleasure to talk to you. Road. You know, like I, I think we want to entertain maybe a, a cut down call at some point, but I don't think that's for right now. You know, I think um, really kind of dialing in what's going to be our bread and butter. Um, you know, from the calls, from the apparel, from you know, the website and the social media presence, like there's a lot of work to do. Um, and so we're happy with what we've done so far, but there's so much room for growth. And I think people are going to really take well to the, you know, kind of the reintroduction of the brand from a, from like a, a personality standpoint, like the brand personality I, I want to have is something that people, I want people to be a part of. Yeah. And, um, I'm certain that we're going to make awesome calls that people are going to think they're are badass. So it's, it's cool. We look Very forward cool. to it, and they can. It's SureShot Game Calls on Instagram and on Facebook. So SureShot nineteen fifty nine on Instagram and SureShot Game Calls on Facebook, and the website SureShotGameCalls.com. We are going to be dropping a new website here in the next two weeks, so we're excited about that too. It'll be a much better user interface and much easier and more kind of aesthetically pleasing uh, website to to browse. So I bet that's been fun to set up. Want to shoot you, blow your brains out. Dude, just the options, you know, like yeah. it's like building a fucking house, bro. Like you <laughs> build a house. Yeah. 
instead you'd rather just go buy one that's already built because you don't have to worry about the knobs in the guest bathroom. <laughs> on, you know? So, uh, but no, guys, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, um, absolutely. This is awesome. And where exactly are y'all located? So two hours east of Lubbock, an hour north of Abilene, hour fifteen southwest of Wichita Falls. So there's a little triangle. Right. We're right in the middle of nowhere. Nice, man. Well, um, there's hopefully. A lot- we can get there sometime. We'd yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, they'd we'd love, love to, to have, have you up, and we'll see you probably at Squad Fest. If you're there, we'll be there. And then oh. uh, we'll, we're also probably going to be at Game Fair. We say it every year, but I think this year yeah. we're going to pull the trigger and go to Game Fair. So. Well, badass. Well, y'all stay in touch, man. If y'all ever need anything from me, please don't hesitate. And, um, yeah, y'all check out the new stuff. Absolutely. Uh, we're excited about it. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate your time, and uh, good luck uh, coaching 5U and 3U. I'm going to need more than luck, my friend. <laughs> God bless you, my friend. Thank yeah, you. And have thank a great you. day. See you, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right. See you. Bye. Interesting guy. Yeah, he is. He's, uh, you know, taking something that is, you know, it's kind of. I always thought Lee Rhodes was a grouchy fucker. Lee Rhodes? Lee Arthur Rhodes. Oh. Yeah, that was his name. A bonus baby, huh? Yep. That's 18 number. years old, getting a <sighs> almost $2 million check. That'd be. Very level-headed young man. There. That'd be a mind mind fuck for anybody. Man, boy, that would be fun. Hard worker, good guy. Yeah, I mean, fast white boy. Fast. What do you say? It's sixty. He ran the sixty and six. Six two. That's like talking about centimeters and millimeters. I ain't no forty yard dash, but that's got to be. Well, fast. you got to just you got to do the conversion. It's he did the four, sixty it's yard a four dash. Four five probably four 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 five. Fast. He's fast. There's yeah, no doubt about it. If he did it in six two, I think he said six two. I can't remember. 60-yard dash flew me for a loop, though, because I don't ever talk about 60-yard dash. I think that's a baseball term. Probably because that's what the... Bases are. Well, no, they're 90, aren't they? Little League is 60. Oh, well, I don't know. But, I mean, fuck, a, f- a football field's not 40 yards either, so... No. Um. But, I mean, if you just do the conversion... So, if you do the 40 in one second every 10 yards, that's a four-flat. Which is hella fast. Like well, the nobody's cheat- run that fast. Cheated well, runs 4-2. Well, he's 4-2, isn't he? Yes. So he's a second point. I, I, I'm assuming he's a 4-5 guy. And that's fast. That's that's almost mm-hmm. as fast as me. Yeah, almost as fast as you. But his is his would be going 40. Yours would be just going to the refrigerator. So it's completely different time. Jeff, it's bulking season. All right, I'm not no. running much right now. I'm bulking. Bulking up. Bulking up. All right, well, if you own Netflix stock, God bless you. Holy moly, it cratered. It's, it's down 63% since last year, which yeah. all of them are going down now. But they were all propped up during the co- the pandemic. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly right. You know, so and knows? so I'm a cord cutter. I've, I've canceled YouTube TV. There's this thing out there. It's called Pluto. Mm-hmm. It's totally it's a totally free app. And it's got tons of free shit shows that we watch. Like we watched Andy Griffith on YouTube TV. Well, there's a whole Andy Griffith show. Uh, we watch the challenge on MTV. Every season of the challenge plays from a start to finish, and then like it's just a continuous. How's loop. Pluto making money? I wonder. Then. I have no idea. I don't know if they're selling ads. I don't know what they're doing. Have but you like, seen the ad on it? Yeah. So like, there's commercial breaks, just like you would see on regular television. But it's got it's got movies that like like legitimate like not. You know, shit. used to 10 years ago, like if you had the rabbit ears and that was all the ca- channel that you got, it was TV you didn't want to watch. But um, Pluto. I need to get this. It's got a lot of TV shows. And God stuff bless y'all. Have a great day. Bye. It's got Book and Hunt. Check out all of our great sponsors. Go check out Dive Bomb Industries. And if you're uh, inclined, I think uh, July 15th and 16th. 
Squad Fest. Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Boss Shot Shells, Pacific Calls, Shin Gear Waiters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Gun Dog Outdoors, Steak Plains Meat, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, and Bangtail Whiskey. 